Hey, it's Andrew. Miles is here too. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. So as we've been covering COVID-19 and doing all this kind of stuff, we've been trying to keep the ads out of the podcast. But one thing that we did want to mention is that if you want to support local journalism, if you want to support what we're doing here, if these updates have been useful for you, one thing that you can do to help us out right now is to buy something from our shop. We have a really cool shop at doorcountypulse.com slash shop. And there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. Yeah, we have great posters from our art director, Ryan Miller of the Door County state parks we have posters of the door county lighthouses the two volume door county living in pictures books and a lot of other great stuff even stickers like if you buy a sticker all of those purchases go to help support this podcast and the work we do each week with the peninsula pulse sending the news out to every mailbox in the county and we can do all that for free when you do that you're supporting the work we're doing here and the weekly edition of the Peninsula Pulse. Once again, that is doorcountypulse.com slash shop. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. The seasons are changing. The weather is getting warmer and warmer. And that means for me, as it means every year, that my seasonal allergies are kicking into high gear. And I woke up just devastated with allergies this morning. <laughs> Sorry about that, bud. Mine, uh, mine have not kicked in. I have been really fortunate so far, but maybe that's because I'm like not doing anything right now. Yeah, I have a dust allergy, so I'm always a little bit allergic every day. And I find that when the temperatures change, that's when they really kick into high gear and get bad. So uh, it happens right around this time every year. And then right as we go into fall as well, my allergies start to spike. And as anybody who knows me can attest to, when my allergies get bad, they get really bad. So have you tried taking the drug that President Trump is touting? Uh, I have only ever seen the drug written online. I've never tried to pronounce it, so uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't even go ask for it if I wanted to. I have no idea what it's actually called. Well, he's he's saying that you might as well just try it. Why not? So why not for everything? I It's such a weird time that we're living in where the president can literally go on TV and say, everyone should just try it. Why not? What, what's it going to hurt to try this drug? Just everybody try it. It, it sounds a lot like everybody's favorite college drug dealer right there. So if that gives you an indication of how you should take that advice, hopefully that helps. So, Miles, why don't we jump into it? Uh, we can start off today by saying that Door County has confirmed a fourth case of COVID-19 since Friday. So uh, the number was at two last time we had recorded. That number is now at four. Um one thing that we, we try to mention every time that we talk about the number of confirmed cases in Door County is that these tests, especially up here, are taking a while to come back. So it's not like you're seeing these numbers rising because people are getting sick with COVID-19 right now. It's just that they're the results are coming in from the testing that has been done over the last two weeks. So while the number is going up, that's not necessarily an indication that the disease is spreading in Door County right now. Most likely, yes. It, and they're not releasing details, totally understandable, because in a small town, releasing information might divulge who that person is, which would be a violation of their HIPAA rights and privacy laws. And like you said before, we don't need to demonize somebody who has this. <laughs> um, but there is, you know, they're also doing contact tracing. So I'm sure that they're going to people that that may have that came in contact with one of those first two cases and that they are 
if if there's a likelihood, they're probably testing and getting those results back faster because sure. th- those people are prioritized to go to the state lab, which would hypothetically come back much more quickly than the private labs where the lower ranking cases get sent. So moral of the story is like, we don't know, although it's unlikely that it's somebody who just got contaminated yesterday. So right. one news of note, Kiwani reported their first case today. And, it, and Brown County is up to 37. Statewide, we are now at 77 deaths from the coronavirus uh, and up to beyond 2,400 cases. So, you know, th- these numbers are just going to keep keep growing. And now that it's here, it's almost beyond the point of, like, tracking each one. Unless, it's, unless it really starts to grow rapidly, then we'd, we'd probably have to go into even more severe lockdown than we already are in Door County and maybe have to reevaluate what those essential businesses are. I, I know there's... I don't know if you've seen this, Andrew, but there's there have been some questions, and these are very valid, raised by other business owners of like, so Walmart can stay open because they have groceries, but they also right. have all this other retail stuff that they're selling. So why can they continue to sell resale goods, say like birdseed, but another place that's like Havgard was originally shut down. Now they've been allowed to reopen, but like Walmart sells birdseed, Havgard sells birdseed, but then one has to shut down, the other one can stay open because they're a big box that has groceries. So, you know, if you're a retail store, let's say you're just a small clothier, you'd be like, well, I want to stay open, so I'm going to start selling some milk, <laughs> right? So, yeah, um, it is interesting. So the, it, there's a lot of holes in it, which is what makes it so damn difficult right now for, for governors or state officials. Right. Well, it's also, it's challenging because when you have a number of employees, the question becomes like, of course, you want to do what's best for your business and try to stay uh, viable or, or stay open as long as you can. But when you have like 10 to 20 employees underneath you, that's where it becomes scary. Because like if I were working at a place uh, that, you know, sells birdseed, for lack of a better metaphor, and I was told that I had to keep coming into my job, I don't know how I would feel about that uh, compared to <laughs> if I was working at a hospital. Right. So another, as far as like some of those data points, New York probably today, if and if not today, then tomorrow will surpass the total number of deaths from 9/11. Just New York City, New York State already has. Um, New York City will have more deaths to COVID-19 than 9/11. They already have on a daily basis more 911 calls than they had on 9/11. Um, to try and put in perspective just how much this is hitting that city, and then I know that overall U.S. cases. The, the rate of growth is still great. It's slowed a little bit, but that's deceptive because it really is the New York rate has slowed slightly. The rest of the nation, it's going up everywhere else except uh, Seattle, um, where, again, like we should be talking a lot more about uh, Washington State and the things they've done and how the social distancing really seems to have worked to slow that spread to the point where they're actually sending ventilators elsewhere that they had gotten from the federal government to say, like, we don't we don't need all these because we've People have been good. They stayed home. So, Miles, you shared with me an article uh, titled What Everyone's Getting Wrong About the Toilet Paper Shortage, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, of course, if you've been following the news, you've been seeing people buying cartfuls of toilet paper for some reason. I have never understood the the desire to load up on toilet paper right now. It, it seems like a doomsday prepper scenario where it's like, I got to get toilet paper because if everything closes down, I'm never going to be able to get. To, I don't know. Anyway, you sent me this article. Give me a little bit of the the gist about this. Why is this toilet paper thing? Why did it explode? And, and what are people misunderstanding about it? I'm trying to reload my browser right now to get the author's name because this was 
I'd like to give him credit, but um, it was a post on Medium, and the the article was written by Will Aremis, and what he's what he talks about is like it's not a hoarding is definitely part of it. Like there, we've all seen the reports of people who have filled up like a trailer full of toilet paper, but it's not all just like bad people hoarding. It's that when you start thinking about how we use toilet paper, so there's two different kinds. There's kind of commercial use, which is the kind that is used in restaurants, gas stations, department stores, large office complexes, which are normally not like your little rolls of Charmin. Those are, they come on the big rolls that might go into a porta john and things like that. Right. It's a different type of toilet paper, obviously for mass consumption. And then, then you have the home use toilet paper, which are your things like your Charmin, the single rolls. So what you have when everybody has to go home and work from home and stay home, you're roughly 40% more home usage of toilet paper than you would otherwise have. Because normally, like a lot of people are going to the bathroom and pooping at their workplace, at sporting events with 20,000 people there, at events like, say, the Door County Half Marathon, where we have like something like 50 porta johns out there. Um, and those are all using the commercial style toilet paper. And so now you're shifting all of that use to the home. So you, it does make sense. Like everybody is going through much more toilet paper at home. Their kids are not in schools and the kids are not in college where it's almost all that industrial use. And in reading this article, I guess it's not as simple as you would think. Like different plants make different types. Like a, a place that has always made commercial toilet paper, it's not easy to, and maybe not even possible to just shift and make the other style. So because you'd be doing that just for like a three month period and then probably be trying to shift back once everything returns to normal. So it does take a while for the supply chains to catch up. And that's one reason why your local stores, the shelves are empty of toilet paper. I had not thought of any of that until I read this article. Right. Yeah. I totally didn't even think about the uptick in actual consumption because people are staying home right now. That didn't even enter my mind, I guess, because you don't really think about the ratio of times that you're using toilet paper at home compared to how much you're using it at work. I mean, that, that's, that's no math that I've ever done before. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, if you, if the average person works eight hours a day in their office or place of, or if you're in the school and for the most part, if you're a teacher and let's say you do, you perform some after school functions and stuff, maybe you're in that building for 10, 12 hours at a time. Um, if you're a high school athlete, you're actually only home first thing in the morning and end of the day versus whereas you might be at practice in a game and you just think of all those different times you're just at home now. So, um, and a lot of people will use, you know, toilet paper as Kleenex as well. So you have all that extra use going on. Um, right. so yeah, that, that was, and same thing goes for paper towel, right? So a lot of people are probably consuming a lot more paper towels in the home, we we have paper towel in our we don't go through a ton because I try really hard to only use it sparingly and just use rags and sponges and things like that. But even if you're doing that, we're going through more in my household than we normally would. So right. especially with everyone trying to sanitize every single time and dry your hands every single time. So right. um, I would advise people to check out that article. It goes into a lot more detail. It's uh, again, it's on medium.com and it's uh, Will or Remus is the guy's name. So. Great. And the article is titled, What Everyone's Getting Wrong About the Toilet Paper Shortage. <laughs> okay, why don't we jump into a little bit of election talk? So we had talked last weekend, or we had talked over the weekend about how 
the election status was still uh, going to go on in Wisconsin, but we were expecting things to change. I know uh, Friday evening, Governor Evers had issued a declaration that there'd be a special task force today to talk about it. Do we have the results of that meeting that went through today? Uh, It was not a special task force, but a special session of the legislature on Friday. And then they came in again this morning, I guess, with no decision or basically like decided just not to do anything. Uh, As I expected, eventually this was going to come down to Evers trying to give the order himself after asking the legislature to doing it, do it and them choosing not to. Both times the state Senate and the state assembly gaveled in and out without really any debate usually within about 15 seconds with uh, legislative leaders Voss and Fitzgerald basically saying, hey, the governor should have done this. If he wanted to change the election, he should have done it weeks ago. Uh, It's too late now. We need to go on with it. Today, Governor Evers finally just said, that's it. We're going to delay it till June 9th. No in-person voting Tuesday. The Republican leaders came back and filed suit and have appealed to the Supreme Court right away to try and decide this and force it to go on tomorrow. Hey, it's Andrew from the future. As I'm editing this at 5 p.m. on Monday, the Supreme Court has reached its decision on the election, and they have ruled that the election will go on tomorrow. So polls will apparently be open at 7 a.m., Just wanted to put that little correction in here uh, as we recorded the first half of this before the Supreme Court had made the decision. Uh, And now we have the updated information. So we will jump right back in now. Meanwhile, the mayor of Green Bay and um, other mayors in the state and county executives have said they will bar in-person voting tomorrow um, from a health standpoint. So you have a lot of competing things going on. Um, if anyone wants to follow this on, on Twitter, actually Mary Spicuza and Molly Beck are two great reporters for the Milwaukee journal Sentinel who are doing great work covering all this stuff as it ebbs and flows. This might change a couple more times today. If we recorded this an hour and a half ago, we'd just tell you the election goes on tomorrow. And we have one of our workers who is scheduled to work at the polls in Naswapi tomorrow, one of our employees. And she's going minute by minute trying to figure out what she's going to be doing tomorrow for work. Right. Um, Miles, to me, this sounds like a cut and dry public safety issue. Uh, You don't want people in restaurants. You don't want people going out shopping. Why would you want people going to the polls? Uh, Why is this such a partisan issue? Why is it split down the line? um, Just to be blunt about it is because the way our politics are now, it's everything is partisan. Everything is a political issue. It's not just, there's very few things where people just say, can agree that this is the smart way to do things. I talked to our local assemblyman, Joel Kitchens, this morning. He also said that this is just something, if Evers wanted to delay the election, he could have done it a couple of weeks ago. I did broach the subject of, well, generally, the Republican legislature doesn't just fall in line with what the governor says on any other issue. So why on this one, be content to just take his orders versus saying this is a public health problem because the legislature doesn't have to wait for the governor to ask them to to propose legislation, right? None of the Democrats proposed legislation, none of the Republicans proposed legislation to delay this election either. And and Joel correctly said, well, none of the the representatives from Milwaukee have have pushed this and, and they're the ones that would suffer the most. But on the flip side, if a Democrat proposed it, none of the Republican committee heads would ever let it out of committee. And plus, the legislature is, is not in session, so that's why the governor has to call a special session. So right. 
it really is. It's there's the leadership on both sides here have failed. Like Evers could have called this weeks ago. He could have made that move. He before up to this point, he's been speaking and saying democracy must go on. We will hold the election. We'll, we're encouraging everyone to vote absentee if possible, but we feel we can we can pull off a safe election. And and the Republicans on the flip side have not taken the initiative to delay this either. And they have said that basically Democrats, if it's going to be harder they're not going to turn out. And as, if it's harder to vote, Democrats won't turn out. That's what we've heard from some Republicans. Um, so it, it is political gamesmanship. And it's I would say it's mostly about the state Supreme Court race between Jill Karofsky and Daniel Kelly. Um, Daniel Kelly being the, uh, the conservative candidate, uh, Karofsky being the liberal candidate. Um, very important state Supreme Court race. And if turnout is tamped down, Republicans generally have said that that helps them. So especially right. if it's tamped down in Milwaukee, um, where a lot of Democratic votes come from and where there are normally 180 polling locations and 1,400 poll workers. And the last number I saw is they plan to have five to 10 polling locations and 400 poll workers. So imagine the state of or the, the city of Milwaukee trying to pull off an election with just five locations. So yeah, does that seem at does that seem kind of counterintuitive during the COVID nineteen crisis? Because you're taking the same number of voters and shoving them into five voting sites. Um, well, to be fair, you it won't be the same number probably because there have already been 1.3 million absentee ballots cast. So a lot of people have taken the initiative to to vote absentee, but. Even so, even at a fraction, like anybody who's ever voted in the city knows that even in a regular election where urban areas don't generally have enough polling locations, you end up having to wait in line. And if like the one thing is nowadays, a lot of people aren't working. So it's at least not holding up your workday. But I know for myself, when I lived in Chicago and if you had to bank on, OK, this could take two hours, you got to figure out time to work that around your regular work schedule. That's difficult to do. Right. And in some places where they wait in line for many hours across the country because we've pull, closed so many polling locations. In Door County, that it doesn't register because we just generally never have to wait when we go to vote. Um, can, like we, we'll, have, we'll have 19 polling locations in Door County on Tuesday. So we'll have, for the 27,000 residents of Door County and far fewer registered voters, we'll have four times the number of polling locations as the city of Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and then when you, when you break it all down, just like you said, should politics play a role in this at all? And that is something I asked Joel Kitchens as well. He didn't have a super clear answer, but generally I think anyone would say like, no. And it's, it's a sad commentary on the way our politics are now in that in a crisis like this, when it seems as clear as ever that you should be able to put politics aside and go, what are the public health risks in this, for this particular event to happen and judge it solely based on that. And it would be really hard for anybody, Republican or Democrat, to convince anyone that this is the smartest, that the smartest public health thing to do would be to hold the in-person voting election. Right. So, Miles, one last thing that I wanted to talk about today before we wrap up. Uh, you have been in contact with the hospital over the last couple of weeks, uh, trying to stay as updated as possible on goings on. Uh, 
you are working on a piece for this week's Pulse about how the hospital is preparing and staying prepared for COVID-19. Samaz, you put together a little piece of audio for us coming up here that we're going to jump into, uh, where you kind of lay the situation out, talk about the different questions that people in the community have had, uh, along with the hospital's response. So we have that segment coming up right here. We've all heard the questions about Door County's ability to handle an outbreak of COVID-19 on the peninsula, including our healthcare facilities. So last week, Door County Medical Center's CEO Brian Stevens and Chief Medical Officer Jim Heiss joined me for a conversation about exactly what our local hospital resources are and what their staff has done to prepare for a potential surge. Stevens told me that the hospital has enacted a laundry list of changes, including posting monitors at all the entry points, taking temperatures of all the people who come in, and limiting visitors to keep the hospital safe. He also said he feels good about the hospital's supply of personal protective equipment, in part because the hospital started ordering more in January when they heard of supply chain issues in China. So they were well prepared ahead of time for this uh, crisis to potentially get here. But the preparations don't end there. With elective procedures delayed, they've strategized new ways to use surgeons and nurses in light of a potential surge. So you're able to take RNs and repurpose them uh, on our hotline for COVID. And so we've been able to be available to answer questions and to field patients with symptoms. And also they have been the clearinghouse for what patients are appropriate to be tested at the mobile testing site. So we were able to very quickly set up that mobile testing site and be ready to test people outside the building of our hospital without having to bring them in. One concern that residents and visitors to Door County have is whether Door County's hospital is prepared to handle COVID-19 cases. There's a perception that small town hospital equals lesser care. Heiss said that's not the case. You know, I, I worked in large hospitals in Milwaukee for my entire career before I came up here. And, you know, I, I know that there's this thought that, oh, it's this little little small hospital in, in Surgeon Bay. And I have to tell you that, um, you know, the whole critical access hospital makes it sound like, well, it's just that it's only if, you know, it's just for those access points. But, boy, if you can go somewhere else, go. And we are really a model of a community hospital, and we can do amazing things in this hospital. And the best part of it is we know what we can't handle so that if there are things that, that uh, need tertiary level care or specialty care, we have partners in Green Bay that we're able to work with. Now, that gets a little more challenging in the context of COVID. If we all have a surge, we're going to have to do our best to muddle through. But we're having daily conversations with our with um, all the systems in Green Bay and in, uh, at Holy Family and in Manitowoc about, you know, where are people going if they are having a heart problem or if they're having a stroke, things like that. So, you know, we're not in a bubble, thankfully. We're able to work with our partners in Green Bay uh, and be ready for the surge if it should come. Typically, the hospital's capacity is 25 beds. But during this crisis, that limit has been waived, allowing the hospital to handle potentially double the number of beds, in part by repurposing the old hospice center. The hospital was able to triple its ICU capacity by getting creative with some of the older unused spaces in the hospital. We were really fortunate in that when we built our new uh, bed wing back in 2010, we left standing um, our old hospital area and we repurposed it for various things. We have our old intensive care unit, um, which had four, actually five uh, rooms in it, five bays. And what we've done is if, if push comes to shove, we're able to double up and put two patients 
um, in each room. So obviously what we're talking about in this case is if we had two patients that had COVID, we wouldn't worry about infecting someone else. We yeah. could have up to 10 people in that new ICU. So from four to 12. I also spoke to Heiss about some of the terms that people are hearing on the news every night, but they may not fully understand, such as the difference between an ICU and a regular hospital bed. ICU, of course, stands for intensive care unit, and, and um, it's kind of what the name suggests. It's intensive care. So what that talks about is we have uh, monitoring in the room, a heart monitor. It shows us respiratory rate. We have all those things right there up on a tower that's easily visible for us anywhere, pretty much anywhere in the, in the unit itself. And uh, nursing care is more one-on-one, two-on-one type of a situation, where, whereas out on the regular, what most places call it as a med surge, medical surgical floor, um, we refer to it as, is uh, um, for patients that don't need to have a heart monitor, continuous blood pressure monitoring, things like that. As an example, if I um, developed uh, appendicitis, and I needed to um, be taken to the operating room to have my appendix removed, and then I needed to be watched overnight to make sure that uh, I was able to move my bowels and get some IV fluids. That would be on a regular medical surgical room because I don't need to have my blood pressure and heart monitored every every second. That I can happen every every four hours or so. Whereas if I if I have a very low blood pressure from a severe infection, I need to have that blood pressure monitored continually so we can react at a moment's notice to it. Residents also ask about ventilators. Stephen said most critical access hospitals, such as Door County Medical Center, have zero to two ventilators. But Door County Medical Center always has six. In this crisis, they've increased that to almost 15 through adapting other equipment. But it takes a specialized skill set to monitor a ventilator as well, so staffing becomes an issue. Heist described how the machines work. So ventilators are... Are, it's basically, it's a machine that allows us to breathe for the patient. So if a patient gets to a point where, for many reasons, if, if, they, uh, if they're so short of breath that their lungs basically fail, they, they, what we say is the highly technical term is poop out. They poop out and can't keep breathing. We put a breathing tube down there, down their trachea, and the machine breathes for them. And those machines are very advanced machines. We're able to control the volume of air that goes into the lungs, how rapidly it goes into the lungs, the pressure uh, forces that go into the lungs, and also the amount of supplemental oxygen in order to keep the oxygen level up. Because that's the the lungs' job in the body is to uh, put oxygen into our blood blood supply, bloodstream, so that all of the, the organs can do their work. And if for some reason that doesn't work, we have to help that along. And in many cases, um, uh, processes that require mechanical ventilation are reversible, and we can use the ventilator to keep someone going until such time as their lungs work again. But Heiss and Stevens stressed that the most important part of getting through the COVID-19 crisis isn't about hospital resources, but about everybody doing what it takes to slow the spread of the virus. We all have a part to play in this, and uh, uh, if we do our part for our community, stay at home, wash our hands, do those things, you know, I get that people are worried about, are, are, are you going to be there for me when I get sick? But that's one of the reasons why we're really stressing those measures so we don't find ourselves in a bottleneck situation. Well, Miles, there's one last thing that I want to mention today before we wrap up. Uh, and this is kind of uh, on the, the lighter side of things. Uh, 
Brett Cosmiter and Sam Kersavit and myself, the whole team over at Peninsula Filmworks, has been working hard over the last couple of weeks to come up with uh, some more video content for everybody. And the thing that we've landed on altogether is a weekly video roundup of the the news and also just some fun video stuff, uh, plugging some of our old video content that we're trying to share every week as we continue on. So this will have updates on COVID-19, but it will also have but it will also have other content as well interspersed throughout. The first episode of the Door County Pulse show is live now, so you can see it on doorcountypulse.com slash video. You can also see it on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash doorcountypulse. Uh, and in it, we go over some of the news from this week, some of the stuff that you'll find in uh, Friday's episode in last Friday's issue of The Pulse. Uh, but then there's also some other video clips in there, including uh, a segment where I show you how I've continued my morning routine and how I've kind of reinvented my morning cup of coffee over the last year. Uh, and then there's also a segment from a show that we produce called Wicked Cocktails, where Mike Holmes from Wickman House shows you how to make his favorite cocktail, the zombie. So there's a lot of really great stuff in this week's issue. There's a lot of really great stuff in this week's episode. We're really proud of how it turned out, and we hope that we're able to bring you more of it every week from here on out. With that being said, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today, and I look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Good to talk to you.